<laughs> Welcome to the roundtable. I am Jennifer Eller, and with me today is our lead pastor, Mike Hill, and in between us is our homeboy, <laughs> Andy Zay, who is actually an Indiana State Senator as well. Yeah. Yeah, great. And yeah. a business owner, and from Huntington, and, and, and right, like a, a long list. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. can give us a short mm -hmm. bio. So just so people, before we, like, give us the bio of you, and then we'll kind of well, the, get the behind the scenes. Right, the of. short bio is really, really easy. I mean, I was born, lived, and raised here in Huntington, you know, just like uh, so many folks and so many, you know, members of your church and of our community, and uh, I escaped to IU for four years, <laughs> got a degree. So and, do you uh, still love IU? Or you didn't become, it, yeah. you didn't become a <laughs> Purdue fan, did you? Well, that's, that's oh, another Judas. story if you want to go that way. I've spent a <laughs> no, lot of money over I'm just, there. <laughs> no, I'm my, my wife is a Purdue graduate. Oh, I've graduated two boys from there. So, and, uh, so yeah, we get yeah, over so there quite a bit. Yeah, so you defected. Yeah, you defected. Oh, no, I just got another IU degree in May. So <laughs> we're double degreed at IU. So if so. you're going to watch basketball, who are you rooting for? If so, they play each other, I'm always for IU. And okay. I, I'm... You know, in spite of horrible seasons, actually, for both teams this weekend, I'll be all about the cream and crimson in the bucket. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, the speaking to a guy wearing a, you know, Bears fan. No, listen, we, I we know, can, but the, the point is We can talk loyalty. about average teams Go forever. On. Jeez. <laughs> yes. It's like and, and, But I'm with you on the Cubs, and, man, I'm a... I don't know what I am in as yeah, a Colts well, fan. Was, Colts so give more games away than they win. I started watching the Bears game, and then it's hunting season. So at oh, Bohan, okay. it hadn't killed my buck yet, so I go out. And so I'm sitting there with my phone trying to get <laughs> updates, and I'm like, the Bears are up. There's no way. I mean, it was like 40-some seconds to go. They can't give it away. Like, they can't give it Snatching away. Snatching defeat from the Jaws. Yeah, the so then I'm like, yeah, they gave it away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again. And, and it was the Lions. The Lions. But the Lions aren't bad this year. So you know, that's when you know the world's upside down. I mean, we're talking the about Lions, the, Lions the Lions being good being and good. the Browns being good. I mean, the yes. world is upside down right yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. So as a, how did you become a business owner in Huntington? Well, Always? Like, is it a family business? Yeah. I, I mean, I was born a business owner to a degree <laughs> okay. from the standpoint that, you know, my, my grandfather and father, I'm the third generation in the car business. And so when you're born into it, you know, you're mowing the grass, you're... Yeah. washing cars at a young age and always shuttling vehicles for, uh, you know, my father back then. And, you know, that's just uh, the way it goes. And, you know, as my kids now are, you know, ingratiated in the business that we, you know, now and step in and help out at times. And and so, you know, it's it's the, the legacy, the mm -hmm. sentiment of that is really neat. Um, the challenge is, uh, you know, interesting. Because well, I'm going to ask a dumb question. Yeah. So your car business, it's Zay Leasing. Mm-hmm. But you sell cars? We yeah, we sell lease and rent. We we, we you know we feature the leasing and rental. Okay. When I came back in um, after IU, I came and joined the family business. We started renting then, okay. and renting became a pretty big deal. And that's kind okay. of my my heritage within the business. Okay. And so you know, so I'm it's pretty more proud of a of rental. That. Like you're not a car lot. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you are a car yeah. lot. Wait, everything we have is for sale. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah. Everything I own is for sale. So it's just a matter of agreeing. So somebody price. can just show up there and buy a car. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. But yeah, we don't. I didn't know that. I thought everybody just rented yeah, stuff. Yeah, we, we we don't play that traditional. I don't do that advertising, and I you know that's it. It is a significant part of our business, but we just use that with our you know our customers mm -hmm. and our clientele that. You know, a lot of them we rent and then sell them because they're in a car, maybe because their car was in an accident. Right. So they have to replace their car or, um, you know, they're over here and they need something for their child or something. Right. Because we try and, you know, we, I try and play within a certain marketplace, which the market's completely upside down still um, since COVID. 
but uh, so we're trying in a, to in a find our way. Again. Horrible. I mean, right. people are paying more for cars than they ever have still. Right. And, um, and now from the UAW thing, they're going to be paying more forever. Well, sure. And <laughs> I mean, but what it has kind of done, because the price of the aftermarket used cars is so high, is it's really kind of brought, to some degree, the new car market into play. So a lot of people, I think, that were historical... Um, you know, would buy a lot of our nice used stuff are now buying new, and th- and that's fine, but um, it's it's still a very. I mean, what has happened that the average Joe, average Jane, <laughs> does not understand is three to five million cars have mm-hmm. been taken out of the American fleet. So th- the demand. Where'd they go? They were never repla- They were never built. They're sitting COVID. in parking lots up in Fort Wayne. No, they were never built. <laughs> They just didn't get done during COVID? Yeah, because the the supply lines and everything, there were so many hmm. fewer cars built through the last mm-hmm. five years. Okay. Um, and so it's a, it's a changing marketplace. Um, you know, a big supplier of the fleet cars is, is typically the big rental companies, the Hertz, Avis, Enterprise, those guys. But even if you go rent from them as you're on vacation now, a lot of people, what you'll notice is the car you're renting has 50, 60, 80,000 miles on it. And they would never mm-hmm. do that prior. I mean, they would... Buy get they would get something new and rent it for maybe a year, right? And then it would go out and they would replace it. But that model has changed, and so it's just kind of been absorbed into this national fleet that has been suppressed, which has increased the demand, which unfortunately for the consumers kept prices sky high. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's nothing against your business, but vehicles are the worst investment mm-hmm. ever in the life of anything in the world, right? I get it. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate it. vehicles. Don't buy, cars, buy don't buy cars to get rich. Yeah, you buy a car <laughs> and then it just depreciates and you fix it all the time. That's mm-hmm. why I just like, well, let's keep fixing the junk I have because it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I got off the subject well, a little we're bit. We're so sidetracked. Who, who, who takes... Talk about so, how cars are junk. Hey, I, I drive junk. No, every, Our I'm family's kind of made a living out of this <laughs> junk. <laughs> so... But that's where customer service and the people side of the business is so important. To yeah. So before we like get into more deeper into who you are, how do you make the leap from being a car lease family business guy to be like, wow, I want to be in the government? Like, that, how does that like that seems like a big leap? It does seem like a big leap. But I, I think, uh, you know, as I explain here, you'll understand it's it's really, you know, a very good segue. OK. And for me. You know, and I guess going back a little bit, how do you market your business? How do you market anything these days? Our newspapers Mm -hmm. have been diminished so poorly. I mean, I have five times, ten times more Facebook followers than there are subscribers of the local paper Mm now. You know, I grew up with my parents leafing through three or Mm -hmm. four papers every single day. And so that's where your ads were. That's where you did that. So I kind of took it on um, both as a just a civic-minded business owner and a way to market my business by being engaged in the community. Hmm. So for 10 years, I ran the Powell um, football program, the flag football program out there. So it was a way for me to give back to the community and be with my kids who were playing through that program and, of course, serve the the Powell program. And I did the same at the Y and was very engaged with the Y basketball program. Um, Was involved with some programs here at at your church and and others. And it was just being out in the community was a way to uh, get involved. And so, and then also promote my business because people identify the, my business with me. And so, as you did that and move along, um, you know, civic engagement, public service, government, you know, kind of became a natural. Because when you're in business, you're permitting, you're getting, you know, permission sure. to do everything. And uh, so, you're interacting with the government on a fairly regular basis. So, with that, you get involved. And 
then you decide that you want to stand behind friends or, you know, distinguish between one candidate versus another and support a candidate. So through, um, you know, the last 20, 30 years, you know, I was very engaged and uh, tried to, you know, be an influencer in those areas and make sure we had people that I identified, business-minded folks that were in public service that, you know, would watch out for business, watch out for communities and, you know, stand with that. And so through that, um, when Jim Banks ran for his, the congressional seat that he now holds, um, he vacated his state Senate seat. And I had supported Jim, supported Mike Pence when he ran for governor, Dan Coats when he ran for um, U.S. Senator for Indiana. And so you kind of look around and, you know, who's going to take that seat? And uh, what I what I was looking for as a person who had been involved in politics was someone that had some family values, small business, was community-minded. And uh, as my wife and I, you know, discussed that, it was me. And yeah. so, you know, then once she's step over that, mm-hmm. then it's game on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then, it, then the competitive side yeah, comes I mean, out. I now be, we got to go win this. It would be interesting to me if you go through today and you pull 18 to 25-year-olds, or even how many of you are aspiring to be a public servant in government office? I just wonder how many people would even process that as a path in their life. You know, and that that's a great point, and you could really broaden that discussion. Yeah. How many want to be pastors? How many want to be teachers? How many want to work in manufacturing, which to some degree has been vilified? How many want to work in these you know different trades and occupations? And that's you know really where we've been intentional in educating, and um, our educators have responded <clears throat> great. Um, where we're talking about pathways to graduation, different because we just want to expose our kids to what's next. Mm-hmm. And a uh, high school degree, when we get our degrees, is not what it is today. Mm-hmm. We really want those kids to have some purpose, some sense of direction where they're heading. And you know, it can be twofold. You know, expose them to what serving in government looks like. <laughs> I don't want any part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to expose them to what expose it's them like. to you know something that you know Parkview and health. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to go mm-hmm. in that degree. So, I mean, it's helping them sort out, you know, what their skills are. Are they strong at math? Are they strong at science? Are they interested mm-hmm. in doing this as a career? And so we're really trying to, you know, a lot of the policy we've created, which our teachers are executing very well throughout the state, is just that uh, mentoring, that exposure to what's next and what comes after high school. And even in the education domain, they're graduating with um, certificates, mm-hmm. um, credentials, where they're actually prepared to go in the workplace in some instances. So we've done that a little bit, and, and at least from the state vantage point. We're working on that a little bit at the local um, vantage point. But to expose people to what public service is. Mm-hmm. And with that, in um, Indianapolis, we have what we call internships. They come and serve during our session. And then they can uh, evolve to a position of what's called a legislative assistant, where they serve us. And basically a lot of that is mm-hmm. constituent services, sometimes digging into policy and figuring out what's been done, what can be done, and, mm-hmm. and working with uh, different professionals. So there is a, you know, there's a long way to go there in educating kids to what's next. But I, like I said, I think that's a global thing um, in really trying to work with our youth and expose them to what could or what can be next. Yeah, I think sometimes the, the biggest gap is most decisions made today at a young level are for happiness, so I'm going to make a decision that is going to make me happy. I'm going to make a decision that makes me enough money to choose a career that picks enough money. I don't know how many people are processing. I want to pick something that changes the world. 
I want to pick something that makes a difference. I want to pick something. You know what I mean? Like if I make this decision, I, I, I smirk a little bit. This feels like a sermon. <laughs> but you know what? No, and I say and I, I mean, say that I appropriately. Know. How many times have I conversed with my kids? And I'm sure how many times have you preached? You know, there's some sacrifice in getting to the end game. Yeah, they want it now. Right. This generation wants it now. Right. And, and it's it's the culture they live in. Mm-hmm. It's the cell phone that gives them Google their mm-hmm. answer right away. Right. Google their satisfaction. Oh, I'm going to go to a game now. I'll go on StubHub, and you can go right in. Right. I mean, we used to plan those. If we were going to a Bears game, you thought about six months in advance and planned it, and <laughs> you got the tickets, <laughs> waited for the hard ticket to be mm-hmm. mailed right. back mm-hmm. to you, panicked when it wasn't there <laughs> right. two months early. And right. Now it's like, oh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, again, I wonder, like, how we can start transforming, and maybe that's how it is. Just start bringing more awareness to that sort of a thing, is that you can make a difference. Oh, it's a a great dialogue, and I think that's where our churches and our families and our communities need to be more intentional. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that with myself. I mean, I reflect Mm -hmm. back on on my parents and my upbringing, and it's like, no way. Right. In this day and age, no way. Right. I mean, don't embarrass the family, you know, go out and work hard and just follow me. Right. There was never intentional discussions on some of the hard issues that we have today with sexuality, with drugs, um, right. with, you know, education and, and, you know, making sure you're stewarding them through. You just you went out and did it. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the conversations I've had to have with my children and, and honestly, some of their friends and, and groups, it's we, we in the public sphere, we as parents, you as a pastor and you, in your faith team, we have challenges like we've never seen before. And um, we're competing against technology. We're competing against the influences of the dark technology. We're, we're competing for time and attention from these kids that we brought into the world. Right. And, uh, you know, what are the, what are this? Everybody's looking for an answer and a solution. And it's, it's not in a book. Right. It's not, it's not written on a wall. It's not, you know, we could argue it's in the Bible and it is, but how, how do we impress that in right. their minds, which are, you know, scrambled running a sure. hundred miles an hour. From the moment they get up, they probably wake mm-hmm. up. So many of our kids wake up to their phone. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where their alarm clock is. So why do you think it is that? And I, th- I would just say this is maybe this is not for everybody, but this has been a long-standing thing since I've been in ministry. So if, when I first got in ministry as a part-time mm-hmm. youth pastor, m- the advice that I get got from people was don't talk about two things. Right. If you talk about these two things, you're going to have all kinds of problems. Don't talk about money. And don't talk about politics, those two things. Mm-hmm. If you talk mm-hmm. about those two things, you're going to have issues going down the road. Mm-hmm. So why is politics, why is that sphere, why does it cause so much angst with people? Why is there so much hatred mm-hmm. and so much, like, why is there so much divide when it comes mm-hmm. to politics? Wow, this is great. This is deep for <laughs> Tuesday morning. Are, are you kidding? Like I'm at, no. This I, this is a. Com- I mean, I, this is just something I've been thinking you're about. You're not. You're not supposed to answer questions with questions. But just to put this into context, I'm okay. going to turn this back on you a little bit. Okay. And and you counsel a lot of marriages and a lot of families and and, and our, even our own. When is our relationship with those closest to us in most peril or most stress? When we're not communicating. Right. When we're not being transparent with each other. Right. 
So to that point, I would say, when is our government most in shambles? When are our finance most in shambles? When we're not talking about it. Right. So I would push back and say, we do. We do need to talk. We absolutely need sure. to talk about um, politics and government in our, in our faith sector. Mm-hmm. Because they do cross. Right. You know, we, we spend a lot of time in the public sphere talking about separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. And that is that the state is not going to say, this is our faith. Right. Life Church is the church for Huntington, Indiana. <laughs> you know, for the state of Indiana, this right. is our church. No, right. we don't do that. But we know God is with us. Right. And I know God is with me. I'm going to Indy today. Mm-hmm. We will open up our session with prayer. Mm-hmm. And we do every day. Right. And we have, a, we have a chaplain, Matt Barnes, who does a phenomenal job. We have a Bible study that meets every Tuesday. And uh, we actually have continued that now. We do that by Zoom through the year mm-hmm. for any legislators mm-hmm. that can come in and participate. And you, you need that sense of relief. But I'll tell you what happens in the state house when you're arguing or getting down mm-hmm. to debating on bills and it's, it's down to a few words, there's tension and you this and you that. When you go to Bible study, some of those things... Mm-hmm. Yeah begin to like level out and you get a little more perspective when you inject the the faith when you inject Jesus and the, you know this parable or that parable and and brings that levity well okay I see that and and the agreement has been reached in right. our Bible study but beyond that just the peace of mind and um, you know everybody's here doing the right thing and the fact that I'm surrounded in my chamber in the Senate by oh I would say well over half active practitioners in faith, and certainly everybody believes in, in God and, and some sort of faith, and that, that's empowering. Right. I mean, that, that is cool, and yeah. that's, you don't, you don't go to the microphone, you don't do a press release right. on that, but the people of Indiana need to know that they have faith-filled leaders down in Indianapolis mm-hmm. serving them, and I know we do here lo- locally, and you do in many domains, so why should we be so afraid of it? Well, I would we, say We this... don't need to do the Mike Hill or the, you know, pastor so-and-so or that. Yeah. But it's okay. It's right. okay. And and we should want leaders that have a faith-filled foundation. Right. Because it keeps temperaments down. It keeps that levity. It keeps that balance between their life and their family and their public work. And it helps build those bridges to get good things accomplished and to hopefully solve some of these bigger societal issues that we have. But I think, let's go back to what you said. So Jennifer, you've done these two. So you're in meetings as much as I am with people that Mm -hmm. are having problems. So back to what you said. So when there is a breakdown, so whether it's a breakdown in the family of marriages, whether it's a breakdown in um, kids and their parents, if it's a person that has been out of the church because mm-hmm. this is this is a lot of the state of Indiana, right? Because we are a, well, maybe not as much anymore, but very conservative. Mm-hmm. Most people have been to church, right? right? It's not like they've never mm-hmm. walked into the church. A lot of people here came and left, mm-hmm. right? Like they went to a church or they grew up in a church mm-hmm. and figured out it was something they didn't want. Mm-hmm. Most of the issues that we deal with, that the breakdown happens that does need to be talked about is so the reason it's about money. One of the things that's distrusted the most about most in church is money, taking money, how they use money, the distrust of leadership because they've seen 
leadership acting in a way that they don't trust. So there's a breakdown. So when they when I said don't mm -hmm. talk about it, the more of what I was saying is, is that there is a there is a reason. I get it. We should talk about it, but why does the public not trust the church, right? So what is it about church leadership? What is it about the things that have happened in the past that the church has to overcome, right? Like we have to do that. We have to figure out how to overcome some of these stereotypes. We have to choose to reveal truth because some of those things for them are true. There are churches that have, and there are churches that have done, but it doesn't represent the mass, right? right. And so people look at things as because of decisions of a few people, represent a mass. So we have to build back up trust to like, you can trust leadership and you can trust church. And I would say most of the reason that people struggle with politics or politicians is trust, right? Like I would say most people are saying, and again, back to, uh, my limited knowledge on politics, right? So this whole January 6th thing, Mm -hmm. It's going on. So you hear all the things that happened, and now all of a sudden there's these videos coming out, and now all of a sudden these these people that that supposedly uh, people got in trouble for doing something, and then they show on a video that they didn't really do it. Yeah. So this like, how does that happen? You know what I mean? So there's this, and I'm not asking you to answer that, but you know what I'm saying. So if Thank you're you. if you're looking <laughs> from the outside, you unfortunately get painted in a broad picture. No, I'm not saying you in general. No, I understand. It's just a no. broad perspective of, I don't, can I trust you? No, I, I think, I think trust is brought about in two ways and that's transparency and conviction. Yep. And, um, if you're not transparent, mm -hmm. that's a bigger part of the problem. And I can't speak to the January 6th situation quite as well, but an example that I've given a lot, um, as I'm running for Congress now to represent uh, Northeast Indiana is this, what they call continuing resolution omnibus spending. We have a country now that's $33 trillion in debt. You can't even fathom all the zeros that go behind that. But you have to consider a few things. First of all, we are spending at a level about $6.9 trillion a year on revenues of about $4.8 trillion a year. So we're in a path where we're just adding to that deficit organically, naturally. And then when you talk about continuing resolution, that's just all that is exactly what it is. So in other words, we're spending $6.8 trillion. Well, we're just going to continue to spend that. And the reason I tell this is this. I believe all the heavy lifting's done in committee work. Hmm. And so you probably have some committees here within the church. You're not making those decisions. They're making them for the cafe. They're making them for the gym. They're making them for the other ministries that you have. And they're talking that, and then you're giving it its blessing. That's a great idea. I'm glad you guys have vetted that out. It makes sense. Or you know, adjust it here or whatever. Sure. But that heavy lifting's done in the committee work. And that's also where the transparency is. That's where the congregation and at the, at the government level, that's where the public has the opportunity or their representation has the opportunity to, to get their hands on the legislation, get their hands on it. When you do continuing resolution in our finances, it's just doing more of the same. They're not, it's the process that's broken. It needs to get into the committee level where people can weigh in where it's transparent, you mm -hmm. can see the debate happen, you can see the definition of priorities and where we're going to spend our money. And I think, you know, there, there's applications really both ways as you talk about regaining trust in church and regaining trust in government. The, the institutions of our society, from healthcare to, to some bigger business to government, um, took a huge hit the last few years. 
And we've got mm-hmm. to work hard to rebuild that. Mm-hmm. And a huge component of that is transparency. Right. And sticking to a process where in a democratic republic that we have, the design is for people to be engaged. Right. And so even if it's out of whack, it's like, well, we told you it was going to mm-hmm. be out of whack. We talked about it. We had a debate mm-hmm. on it. And here it is. Right. But when you do a continuing resolution, you're not doing that. Right. That whole process is gone. And I think that transparency is what... Um, you know, it's going to re, reinvigorate that trust. And it, it's kind of like, you know, this is, here we go. Mm-hmm. This is what we're offering. This is what we're presenting. There's nothing hidden here. There's no back room. There's no dark secrets. And so um, that process, I think, is important at the church level and certainly at the government level. Yeah, so tell me, so, so speaking ignorantly, Yeah. so if I wanted, so if you're going to be transparent at the government level, mm-hmm. not just you, anywhere in the government level, yeah. how do we know anything? Like, how would I know how to weigh in on a debate, or how would well, I know it, something's going to affect me? Like, I don't know right, what it would be, but something's going to affect me, mm-hmm. and I want to weigh in. How do I do that? Well, it's it's very daunting, and you don't just jump in and do it. Okay. Um, but, you know, you need to... I, I would say the first thing is to know your representative. So tell you. Yeah. I I represent the people. Okay. So I am your conduit to ideas and legislation to functions of government at the state level. Okay. Um, at the local level, you have your mayor, you have your council people. You know, on Sunday, if you bring your folks in, if you peeled them apart and said, do you know who your city councilman is? They might be able to name one or two, but they wouldn't know who theirs is because there's know? districts all around town. Do you know I who mean, the city council people are? Well, my father-in-law was one. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nick, do you know? I don't. Not, not by <laughs> district. So, I mean... Yeah, so you're pointing you out should what do, we don't know. You're well, right. People should do you know, their own internal little bit of civics lesson to know who their representative is, and, and they should work through that. But more broadly, and when you talk about issues, depending on what they are at the state level, certainly at the federal level, it's like you can't run down for every hearing. It's two hours mm-hmm. down and two hours back. I mean, you're, you're giving up your day to come right. down and testify on an issue. But there are associations, there are groups that um, represent your interests, can keep you, one, informed, or two, if it is a big issue, they'll invite you down at the right time to tell this story, and they'll, and they'll tell you where you can influence and impact. And, um, you know, so you, you have to find groups or associations that you want to identify with, that you want working for you, and, and build that trust and build that relationship. But it's, it's a relational business, so, I mean, it's, it's building those relationships over time to making sure that you get the government you want. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, as an individual, as a representative, I try and be a conduit of that. But um, more broadly, there are associations then that will follow every single bill that we file on every issue and whether you should weigh in and how you should weigh in on those issues and what the impact might be on your church community, your Huntington community, your Huntington County, Northeast Indiana, or whatever other interests yeah, so you have in between. Let's just use a... So give me a hot topic. How long have you been doing this? Uh, this this winter will be my eighth year. So in eight years, there's like this big deal, right? Like mm-hmm. a decision. Something mm-hmm. came up. Something was going to change. So play it out for me how it works. Like here was the decision. Here's how people weighed in. And here's how you came to a conclusion on how to make a very controversial decision. Because, again, I don't want mm-hmm. it to get – I hope this isn't a big deal. I'm just trying to get in my own mind, here's a big deal that's going to affect a lot of people, right? I, I don't even know what it is. Something. Like, if this happens and this decision's made, it affects mm-hmm. a bunch of people. And so in that, the process of using you for a conduit, 
-hmm. right? That's the mm -hmm. idea is, is that, because we talked about this before we got on. So this is very intriguing to me to think through how does, so the separation of church and state is good from the standpoint of you can't tell us what to do, mm -hmm. right? Like that's a great thing. Like you mm -hmm. can't say, this is the only church people in Huntington go to. This is, you can't, well, I mean, you can try to shut us down during COVID, but we... <laughs> We, that's good. Yeah, that's good. But but anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like that that's a good thing, but there shouldn't be a separation from those who are believers to to partner with those who are believers, partner with the people that can make differences and moving it forward. It's a pretty wide uh pretty broad brush, but let's let's try this. Okay. Um and it's something that's uh well discussed okay. throughout political circles, throughout uh, communities, okay. and it's mental health. Okay, um, mental health is a, a huge issue. It's been well documented through um, academia. Uh, the challenges um, our correctional community, sheriffs, jailers, etc., commissioners who are responsible for those um, budgets and and things. You know, we've tried to just jail mental health a little bit, mm. you know, mm -hmm. slash addiction. Mm -hmm. um, we know that's not working. We're releasing them back out in the society. They're finding their drugs. They're going back. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on mental health. So people are telling me I'm, I'm visiting with Place of Grace, and mm -hmm. we have a handful of those ministries, mm -hmm. um, the commissioners and the new community corrections. You know, what's what's the answer? What's the solution? Mm -hmm. Every county's doing a little bit different. Um you know, and how does it work? Well, a little bit intuitively, and, and my concern, first of all, with these issues, and, you know, this is me putting my ideology right out front, mm -hmm. I hesitate when people look to government for the answer. Okay. I, I love that. I, I'm, not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure that we are the best solution. Right. And so for me, it was gaining a little bit of background, a little bit of insight. And it's great that we're sitting here because I love telling this story. Um, the DARS report measures faith-based participation. Okay. And 15 years ago, the participation in faith in the country was 49%. Okay. And this is a pretty low bar. That's going to church or a faith-based yep. one hour, one time a month. Right. Yeah. Last year was 20. <laughs> We've lost 29% in just 15 years. Right. And... My wife, our family, we're, we're regular tenders. We go every week and try and go a little bit more. And I reflect on that from my personal perspective and, and those that I know and those around me and, and some of the ministers and, and folks that I, I relate with on a regular basis. How does the faith community and mental health intersect? Hmm. Because I know when I go to church... We talk about forgiveness, we talk about love, mm -hmm. we talk about loving one another, we talk about loving our family and, mm -hmm. and bringing some peace back to mom and dad and the kids. And it's there is a huge component of mental health just in that exercise mm -hmm. and in praying regularly and, and, and realizing there is a higher being and in realizing that God or Jesus is on your shoulder mm -hmm. when you're making big decisions, when you're making small decisions, mm -hmm. but to realize that every decision is not the end of the world or that monumental and that time will heal and that there is forgiveness and there are great examples and great stories in the Bible that help us with that in times of stress and anxiety. And it doesn't mean the stress and anxiety and the challenges of life will go away, but it gives us a perspective internally, mm -hmm. 
but it also gives us a community relationally to help walk through some of these things. Mm-hmm. So how's government going to fix that? Mm-hmm. Because I've seen that play out in many different churches as in many different Bible studies. I shared about it a few moments ago within legislators that get together for Bible study. So, I mean, there's a lot of healing, a lot of different emotions that, you know, come, come out and, and are settled through that. So when you talk about an increase in mental health, how much of this is relational mental health that could be cured by an increase in the faith community and even some of our strong mm-hmm. not-for-profits rising up? Mm-hmm. I believe that would suppress this crisis mm-hmm. holistically. So anyhow, it all becomes about money. So we need, I don't know what it was, they wanted like a half a billion dollars. Who and wanted a half a billion? Some of the mental, mental health, health public, um, Got it. public mm-hmm. health agencies. Yep. Um, Mr. Flieger runs ours here. You know, we're, we're responding a little bit to how things worked mm-hmm. out through COVID. And mm-hmm. do we have enough public health? There's some pretty damning, pardon the expression there, studies of where we were rated in the bottom five in different categories. One was public health spending. One was um, tobacco use. One was obesity. And, <laughs> and so... I'm like, yeah. Let me suck it did, in a second. I hit, I hit a little close to home there, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just don't believe that, you know, okay, so we can throw a hundred more dollars at it. Is that going to mm-hmm. fix, you know, this public health crisis that we're talking about? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm trying to equate it. And, you know, there's a case to be made for increasing some spending. I get that. We can do things a little bit differently. But I was concerned of making it a huge budgetary item and, and the heavy hand of state government even coming down to local government saying that we can fix this by spending more money. And there were examples actually right here in the state because there were about four or five counties that um, had superseded this average threshold mm-hmm. that had spent over this, um, the, the I would say, 50% or the average and they weren't any more healthy. They weren't any leaner. They mm-hmm. weren't any less smoker. And it was a lot of our larger counties, Bloomington, um, Monroe County, Marion County, Indy, St. Joseph County. So, you know, that to me was a simple template right here within the state saying, well, money isn't necessarily the answer. And then, you know, you really kind of have a clash of um, public health does with freedom. Simply put, if smoking's bad, let's just outlaw it and say, be done with it. If we're going to give people the freedom to do it, you're giving people the freedom to do it. Yeah, we can tax it more. We can do different things. And, uh, you know, I'm not encouraging or promoting it, but, you know, where, where's the rub? How do, how do we get to a solution on some of these things? So this, it's a huge debate. And, and the huge debate is how do we move forward with a mental health, public health crisis? Right. And, you know, we're still a little bit in shock of, of COVID. We're shocked about in some cases, how we were treated as churches, as individuals. Mm -hmm. We were shocked about where it came from. We're still trying to transparently (laughs) find out the background on that. But in spite of that, you know, there were some things that came up in the public health sphere, and uh, we've seen a little more anxiety and a lot more anxiety and mental health than that. But it's how do we, you know, how do we resolve that? And at the state's vantage point, how, how are we a part of that solution? What role should we or shouldn't we play? And, uh, you know, I struggled with that immensely. Yeah. I, I, I think there were some things there that were problematic, but I didn't see a clear path that we were going to be a better part of the solution. And so I was a little tepid on that. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen some creative, we've seen some collaborating where, um, 
you know, park, the, the mental health, the BOA centers, the Parkview Behavioral Health and other mm-hmm. mental health are more engaging with our Department of Corrections. We have, you know, community corrections is a lot different than jail. They have the capacity to come and go, earn their keep. They have resources available to them right there when they are there, 12-step, et cetera, and um, making themselves better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we did end up making an investment. I think it was two or $300 million over two-year budget cycle. Um, we are looking at some regionalism where counties can collaborate and work together. So, there, you know, I think there's, there's movement there. But the key now is to be subtle a little bit and see how it plays out yeah. and not get overly involved because it's a very fluid kind of area when you talk about mental health. I mean, there's well, days I wake up and question my own mental health, well, so we all have our own <laughs> mental health. So I don't, I think, what have you. so from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, I think that this is clear. So if we're going to go back to what is the church's responsibility, right? Yeah. Because I think this is a big thing, and I've tried to fight against this from starting the church. I think it's the church's responsibility to take care of those people who are in need. I think that that's the way God set it up. I think that's the model that you see. The problem is, is that if we don't, who does, right? So that that's how, so again, I'm going to give you my theory, and it's, it's not founded on all facts. It's founded on my thoughts, so just so we're clear. <laughs> so my I'll thought is to it, the, the right church, from the standpoint of what God called us to do and the decline, you, I mean, you made it very clear, there's less people involved in it and less people willing to engage into helping people because it's messy. And now it's easier not to because the government social systems have taken the place of and made it so that you don't have to. Like, we've made it so that the church doesn't have to respond. And to the point where it's almost made it easier for them and more productive for them to stay on social services than it is to be helped by somebody else or go down the road with somebody else and not force situations into dealing with the real issue. I'll just give you an example. Like... Healthcare, you know, healthcare is a big deal, you know, from the standpoint of it makes more sense for a young married or a young person with a daughter not to get married so that they can keep social service healthcare than to get married and then be on that person's income to be able to get healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. So it encourages Mm -hmm. something that's not good. Somebody who can get when we took in the kids, like when we took in the five kids, there was an encouragement for that family not to work because they were getting $1,500 a month in food stamps, Mm -hmm. right? And here's how the system works. So we take in the kids, he continues to get the food stamps, right? Like that system of, well, they're still his kids. And even though like it's a broken system that encourages, and this is just, again, these are my theory, is broken system that encourages people not to work, encourages people to not do the right thing when it comes to figuring out healthcare, because healthcare can bankrupt you. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it that way, and the systems can do it that way, and encourages the church that, like, why should we get involved? Because there's tons of social services now. That doesn't mean we shouldn't, doesn't mean that the church shouldn't, and I would agree with you. If we keep depending on the government to fix it, is this going to be a circle that goes around and around and around? 
Yeah, I mean, you've defined many of the um, safety net services. It's a you run into that cliff, the the gray area, as I call it. How do you transition from yeah the need for that sure at, at the urgency at some point to transitioning off of that, and it becomes the, there is no you know fluid. Our, our former uh, con or um, state rep Dan Leonard always had a, an interesting philosophy with this. I don't know why I'm sharing this. It just came to mind. <laughs> but um, on unemployment, he said you should actually give them, the, month one, give them 150% of what they were making, but then have it on a decreasing scale. So by you know the sixth month, you're down to half. The nine month, you're down to a quarter, and then maybe level it off, rather than an arbitrary mm -hmm. amount that you do with some formula that you sustain over, mm -hmm. over a long time because it, it creates the incentive and it creates that pathway. But what I really want to go back to that I think you're really, really touching on um, is, a, is a philosophy that I've kind of formed over the last few years and in, in looking at the mental health, the, the health crisis is mm -hmm. good as well. And that is government is good to the point of intervention. Mm-hmm. My house is on fire. Mm -hmm. I want a fireman. <laughs> For sure. Mm -hmm. If there's a crime going on, I want a policeman there now. Right. Um, DCS situation, if there's a family in distress, we need a caseworker there to figure out where mom and dad and where the kids yep. should be. We need to sort that out now. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. Where government is very inadequate is from there to, to the human condition, to that human services point. And the example that I use is this. We've, we've seen this dramatic increase in fentanyl and meth and, mm -hmm. and drugs and uh, th permeating throughout our society. Yeah, there's issues of how to deal with that on you know, how it got here and all that. But we are creatively as communities coming up with solutions. We have a lot of different halfway houses and different programs. By and large, the, the um, addiction and recovery centers that are faith-based ministries are way more successful than institutional programs. And what I mean by that is folks that go into faith-based faith ministries for addiction and recovery help have an 80% success rate. Only about 20% of them go into recidivism and get back into drugs. Mm -hmm. In institutional setting, it's completely reverse. 20% mm -hmm. of them have success, and 80% of them are in recidivism and get back into drugs. And it's, it's just to the heart literally the heart of what you're speaking. And I think we could even see it in ourselves a little bit if we look. And, and what I mean is, if I'm going in to help you with addiction and recovery for a $15, $20, $25 an hour paycheck, is my heart there for you to help you out? Mm -hmm. Whereas in these ministries, they're there. And the, we've heard some of the folks speak and some of the gals mm -hmm. speak that have been through horrible incidents. Mm -hmm. They want you better, mm -hmm. and they'll give you and help you in any way they can. Mm -hmm. So they're connecting, though there may be a paycheck involved, but they're also connecting to your heart and your soul and empathy because they've been there. And it's that connection that you're not going to get in a job mm -hmm. to do that in that space. And I think that's a little bit of what you were saying in, in some of the healthcare space, because you're connecting people and you're connecting beyond the job, mm -hmm. you're connecting into the heart, you're connecting into the soul, and either changing or relationally, and being relationally connected with those people that make a difference. And, you know, I should give the disclaimer that there are examples of that that happen in the institutional side. There are people yeah, that are sure. exceptions. But by and large, 
you're not going to have that connection as you will in a faith ministry. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's an example where I see that play out very, very clearly. Well, and I think that's the, I mean, and weigh in at any mm-hmm. time, Jennifer, when you think that I'm like off. But I think the problem today is, is that for whatever reason, it's difficult for people to engage into the mess, right? So part of the big separation of how do we, how do we as believers help those who are in a mess? And so the, the church has got somewhat of a reputa- reputation of being a country club separate from the world, right? Like here's a group of people that have their life pretty well cleaned up and will give money to somebody else to take care of the mess. Right, like we've disengaged from the church should be all a part of the mess. In fact, the church should be a mess with people. Well, that or they don't know how, which is a perfect segue into okay. my other. Uh, yeah. uh, um, people ask me, particularly now that I'm running for Congress, you know, what you've been down there eight years, what's your most impactful piece of legislation? You know, mm-hmm. the billion dollars in the budget or, you know, changing or affecting education or higher ed or criminal code and fixing all that. This is simply a program called the Care Portal. Okay. And the Care Portal is a is a beautiful concept brought to me um, through the Global Orphan Project, and uh, former um, Chief Financial Officer of Indiana's Department of Child Services, um, Doug Weinberg. Um, he was CFO under Mitch Daniels era when Mitch Daniels was governor, and then he went out to Nebraska and served under Governor Pete Ricketts and ran their entire uh, Family and Children Services. But he ran into this program called the Care Portal. And what the Care Portal does is it uses the basis of technology to embrace the faith community and connect it to where government services are needed. So the example and how it works here in Indiana, we've, we've kind of built it out um, in the DCS domain, in the DCS element. So we've partnered with the Department of Child Services in trying to support them. Because when a caseworker goes into a setting, they have <clears throat> two choices, leave the child there or remove the child. And they're defining that in one of two um, domains. One is, is there abuse or neglect? Or is there abuse and neglect? Mm-hmm. Or, um, or whatever. And they have to remove mm-hmm. the child on that basis. And so many times there's gray area there. Mom's working her heart out, trying to do it. It's, it's a lot more about poverty than it is mm-hmm. actual setting, but the kids are sleeping on the floor. And that's one of the definitions that has to have them removed. So if they had bedding, they could stay together. You could keep the family whole. So what the care portal does... There's a host in every community, in the 12 counties that we're in now, mm-hmm. and that host engages the faith or not-for-profit community that registers with the portal. So in an instance like that, the caseworker will be the vetter, determine whether the, a need, a material need can be met, put it in the care portal. It will blast out to the ministries that are, that are signed up, and then they decide whether they can meet that, and they respond Get that the caseworker will coordinate, get the bedding into that home, and that way you can keep the family unit together. But more importantly, I argue, is you can also build that relation and you can build a little bit of a mentorship where maybe they can help that mom or that family along and get them down the road if there are other needs that come up. And then from a government standpoint, the thing that I love about it is accountability. Every time a material needs met, you log it and how many kids you've served. So right now I can pull it up on my phone, and I think we've saved um, the state of Indiana over $5 million and served over 2,500 children. Mm-hmm. And uh, to your point, I think there are great ministries within our churches that maybe even are helping within the church when problems arise, and they would love to help DCS and a family, as you have personally, 
but they don't know how. Mm-hmm. And so this creates that conduit of the how. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we need this. Boom, boom. And you, and you do it. And well, so and it, you have the vetting of the need, you have the meeting of the need, and then you have the relation that hopefully can go beyond that transaction. Yeah, and I think it's for us. So this is what we've talked about all the time is, is that we want to be able to, um, like we have a fund called Acts of Love, mm-hmm. right? So Acts of Love, the idea of it is, is that we want you to be engaging in the mess, right? Mm-hmm. So we want you to be in relationship with families. And if that family is in need, we don't want the church to be the answer because we don't want the church to be a social service agency because we think that's the other thing that's happened is, is that, Hey, I met somebody. I don't want to mess with them. Send them to the church. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so the church can take it. So you get an email, there's this person, Mm -hmm. this person needs a problem. The organization then takes care of it. So the church becomes no different than a social Mm -hmm. service agency instead of a, ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church isn't a social service agency. The idea in in scripture was you fed a meal to the orphan and the widows to be an ambassador to Christ, not to be not to just serve a meal, right? Mm-hmm. The idea was I'm going to serve a meal because I love Jesus and I'm going to do it not because it's a food pantry or a food ministry or any of those things. It's because we love Jesus and that's what he told us to do. So acts of love is if you're out there and you know somebody and you're working with them and you're saying, you know what? The only barrier for me, like I'm in it relationally. I'm going to walk down the road with them relationally. I'm going to be an ambassador to Jesus, but I'm limited on my funds, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm limited on those things that I can do. Then you send an, an email to Jennifer, Jennifer, you know, we, look at it, you know, to make sure it fits what we're trying to do, which is you helping a person, we give the money so that you can be Jesus in the lives of those people so that you can get not only a material possession, which is what you're saying, and the other thing that you're saying, a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And when those two things go together, things change. When it's just transactional, sometimes I just don't know how much, like I get it, we need to help them get bedding, Mm -hmm. and we need to help them get all of the things that they need. But for the cycle not to repeat itself, they need somebody in their life to help them bring them up out of the pit, which is the piece that I think we've neglected as a church, is I think the church has done a somewhat decent job of saying, here's money, we have a fund, like we have a mission fund, we have a help your neighbor fund, and here's the fund, and give them some bedding, but nobody knows that person. Nobody's walking a journey with that person. Nobody's going down the road with them and saying, how can I lift you up out of poverty? It might be a generational thing, right? Like I mean, generational poverty or generational... No, you're, you're exactly right. And that's certainly what we hear from like the corrections people and some of these other people that have been more intimately involved with the mess. Mm-hmm. And um, these people don't know any other way. They don't know. Right. And um, indoor, it's gotten so bad, they've push back. They want to be homeless or mm-hmm. they found success in going to multiple churches and getting yeah. the yeah. the coupons or food or whatever. And um, no, I mean, and, and that's where, you know, there is, there. it's a complementary role. And yeah. I mean, they all need to exist, but I think you have to be careful to say that government's the answer, church is the no, answer. No, for sure. And um, probably the more direct answer is the relationship. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, and it's 
as we approach Christmas time and Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. it's it's good to talk about that because it's in the giving that we receive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that all of us need to keep in mind. And, uh, you know, that that giving is not maybe the money or the food. The giving might be your heart mm-hmm. or a hand or a touch. Mm-hmm. And and I, I believe through COVID that's, you know, that's where maybe a lot of the uh, mental health and crisis um, came from. And you still see it some today. I, I think that humans need to be connected. Mm-hmm. They need to touch. We need to handshake. We need to hug. We mm-hmm. need a hand on the shoulder. And, you know, small, large, what, what have you. I mean, right. it can come in any form. But when we were asked to social distance and be apart and not touch mm-hmm. and not be, Zoom's just not the same. <laughs> Skype's not the same. No. And, uh, you know, we've used it in business world. It certainly used it for efficiency and, and different things like that. But there's still that human connection and when you're talking about poor and poverty and and some of these troubled homes, man, I I just think that plays a huge role. And I, I've sat beside some of the uh, addicted folks. You mm-hmm. know, they've never felt love. Right. Their love was that drug. Right. And they would do anything in their power to get it. Right. And they really uh, resonate to that. So to have a hand on the shoulder, a hug, a few encouraging words of support just meant the world to them right. in that moment. And you know. I, I'm just Andy Zay, but when I show up at those, some of them are just like aghast that a senator would say that. Mm-hmm. And I, I respect that, but more important than being a senator, it's that I'm Andy Zay, because I believe that, and I do that as a person. Right. And that's where the, the homeboy really is uh, <laughs> important, because I do put my pants on the same way every day. I, I'll never wear a Bears jersey, but <laughs> beyond, beyond that, you know, it's it's... I am a reflection of the community I come mm-hmm. from, and I think we can't lose sight of that. And I mean, you kind of even referred to it, and it was t- a little tough to hear, you know, that those of us that are practitioners of our faith are are the country club. And, uh, you know, you got to challenge your own actions sometimes. And I, I, I hear that. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can see why you would say that. And, uh, you know, I see that in a lot of the churches. Um, well, I, and I think that I interact with. So I think what, and again, I didn't mean to like bash on anything. I'm just saying, no, I get it. from the from the unchurched people that I work with, people that have, I mean, I'm in relationship with lots of people. You know, as much as there is a sep- like this idea of separation of church and state, there's a separation of church and community, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This idea of there's the church and there's the rest of us, right? Mm-hmm. And so just as we're trying to bridge this gap, mm-hmm. right, this idea of bridging the gap between what government and churches should be doing together, because just as, as that example, you talking about the caring port, care can portal, I say it right? Yeah. Care, care porthole. And what we're like, those things working together, those together can make incredible differences, right? Oh, yeah. And that knowing that there is a way to bridge the gap, like trying to figure out how to bridge these gaps so things don't seem so mm-hmm. separate. And so, the part of the thing that I think helps that is, is that one, you're a real person, mm-hmm. right? So, I think the, the separation between government and people sometimes is that we forget your people mm-hmm. right and that there's relationship and there's like i think some of the the grassroots movement that has helped you know from a political standpoint is the people that are really willing to be in the community people that are like 
I am like you trying to, to bridge this gap together. And I think it's the same with the church, the, the, the people of the church willing to be in relationship with people that aren't. Because if you look, what happens is we tend to spend our time with people who are like us, you know, and so whatever that looks like, you make a circle of people that are just like you. And if you do that, then whether you wanted to create it or not, you do. Right, mm -hmm. you create a country club, or you create a group of people that mm -hmm. you're not saying you don't accept, but from the world's perspective, they see it as not. So we have to intentionally, just like you, are making. I mean, what a huge deal to show up at Life Church at nine o'clock in the morning to do a podcast, <laughs> right? I mean, just us. I mean, who who does that? That's but my point. Well, I'm is, a politician. I like to talk, so I'll take yeah, any, but, any but, form I can get. But the point is, you know what I mean? You bridge the gap, right? You bridge the gap between. I mean, we're just a normal. I mean, we're nothing different than anybody else, right? Well, to my point, though, I I believe to build on my foundation. And, and, and in saying that, and what I struggle with is that I believe church is the answer, yeah. not the problem. And I think we're being told in the broader brush of society sometimes that church is the problem. Mm. And it's the the Catholic priest that acted inappropriately. It's the pastor that did something here, and yep. all of a sudden it's all faith ministries. Yep. And you, you, we have so much more to offer yes. than the problems that have existed or occurred, mm -hmm. and I don't defend those in no, any way. Sure. Bad things happen to the best mm -hmm. and worst of people. Right. But when you get into these murky gray areas like mental health, mm -hmm. um, poverty... I just I don't see a strong institution government solution. Right. Um, a supporting arm in some ways, yes. Mm -hmm. um, the solution into what can really be changing, I, I just I see a lot more hope and promise in our faith community and in and in, and in some of our strong not for profit communities that are intentionally working in some of those spaces. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's the battlegrounds, that's the difference-making, that's what's going to solve some of these issues. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, which kind of, you know, gets back to how we're changing. I mean, it's, we're an evolving world, and I, I can't imagine, you know, your world and how you're communicating with the youth and, uh, and trying to make a difference and, you know, putting cell phones down or using them at appropriate mm -hmm. times and using them in appropriate ways and... I mean, we're seeing kids in many cases that can't even talk. <laughs> they can't converse. <laughs> right. It's through a text. It's through a screen. And, you know, I fight that with my own children. I mean, I go 18 to 33 is the span of my children's. And, I mean, the difference in that, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he is a spoiled brat, our baby, right? <laughs> but uh, beyond that, just mm -hmm. the exposure and, and things and ways he's you know, changed in education and, and everything. Yeah. Well, is, we're is, biased is too, because the, mm -hmm. I mean, we say we're biased. Like we have said, we're going to do everything possible, right? So we're going to build relationships with, we're going to partner with, we're going to do whatever we can to what we would consider. So 20 well, years ago. Well, what if it were a binary choice? What if it was government fixing it or the church? What if and, if I had it? and if you're playing poker, where would you put your money? I listen, Jesus. Exactly. I mean, there's no. But but here's the issue. And, and, and it, 
it's not ex- it's not that exclusive, right? And, and just as we talked about, there's some gray areas. There is some roles even in the safety net that the government's going to need to play. But I I argue that we need to raise the precip of our faith and faith based communities. I think they need to play a more dominant. I need I think they need to play a more active role in some of these areas. And I think you know if you look at it in that context, that's what I'm advocating for because. I can vote for, I can encourage billions of dollars to be spent in this space, and we'll go down the five years, the road five years and measure it, and you're not going to see the outcomes that you think that you should have got for a half a billion dollars. You're right. not. Right. And so we've just, that's kind of the whole discussion I'm having with myself and that I'm sharing with others. And I think, you know, I'll double down on the church community every day and twice a Six times on Sunday. Yeah, well, when we, when we <laughs> say, when, like, so that we, we think the barriers. So it used to be, you know, if you're listening, you know, it's like a chasm, right? Mm-hmm. So here were people and here was Jesus, right? Like, here's where you needed to be. And people were, 20 years ago, were right on the edge, like, to make a decision for faith. Like, they were like, you know, show me, help me understand, give me the, you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, you can be forgiven, and people could make that leap. Today, that chasm, and then people, and then like 10 barriers between ever getting to the place of even understanding the forgiveness of Christ. That's the issue that we're dealing with today, is people aren't at the precipice of making decisions. We have to help remove barriers to even help them understand who Christ is, because now there's 10, 20, 30 things that have happened in their life that that don't even give them the ability to understand a loving father, understand somebody who can forgive sins. So as a church, we're trying to figure out, we know the answer to the world, just like you said, when we say the church, what we say all the time, the answer is Jesus. We already know it. Read it in Scripture. Most, you know, If you read the Bible, the Bible is true without error. There are people who were blind, who were healed, that were sick, you know, and taking care of people that were raised up from a, from a lifestyle of poverty into being able, functioning people in society. There was the church that in a community, this is what it says, when they're in this community, because of the giving of the church, there was not one need. So it's possible for this to happen through Jesus Christ. Like, it's possible. It did happen. It has happened. We got to believe that, it's, that it can happen, and we need to rise up to what that job is, and we need to continue to believe all of these things are remove barriers, but the true answer is Christ. Like, the true answer to addiction is Jesus. The true answer to mental health is Jesus. Now, are there barriers? Are there helps? Are there portals? Are all those things? Yes, but the true answer is we can't substitute the power of Jesus Christ for counseling. Like, you need counseling, but you need Jesus. You need housing, but you need Jesus. You need you know, stability, but you need Jesus. You need the caring porthole to get you to where you need, but you need Jesus. Like that's, Mm -hmm. so for us, those are the things that we want to keep doing. And we think that's the perfect partnership with government, right? Mm -hmm. It's a perfect partnership with the community is saying, listen, all of this stuff helps remove barriers. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the greatest barrier to transformation Mm -hmm. in a person's life is Jesus Christ. It's the greatest barrier of transformation. And you can listen to story. I know you've heard them story after story, after story, after story of somebody, somebody that is that their life you look at and you're like, how did that transform? 
right, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. Jesus, right? Like all of these things help me, but Jesus is the one who delivered me, you know, to the place that I, that I need to be. So that's, you're right. We are in all of our hearts, want to be able to do those things. Who ever thought in a country of 333 million people, we would talk about a crisis of loneliness? Yeah, I know. Yes. And, yes. and even in our accessibility to social media and technology, and we talk about loneliness. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, and, and I think what I hear you saying is it's incumbent upon us to have our hands outstretched, to, to be welcoming. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, because so many of us don't don't feel or don't know loneliness, and, and maybe we do it in our own in, in our own times and in our own space. But um, yeah, I mean, we talk about loneliness and, and such despair at times, and it's 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 wild. Yeah, I think that's I. Now that you said that, I just listened to a guy on a podcast. I can't remember which country in, but they just in their government now just put somebody the minister of loneliness mm -hmm. because they have such a crisis. I wish I could remember what it was, mm -hmm. but such a crisis of loneliness and despair that the government mm -hmm. in, said one person's going to be over this problem. And I think if we would... So here's the great thing about COVID. Here's the great thing about COVID. It forced you to slow down. It forced you to sit around a table. It forced you to, to, to process some things that you didn't have time to process before. So I think we, mm -hmm. I always said, I wonder what we'll learn because mm -hmm. what we should have learned is in, in that is that we need people. Like this is the thing when we got to the place when the because uh, I didn't even know it. This was the weird thing about COVID. I don't ever watch the news or know what's going on. So somebody came into a staff meeting and said, what are you going to do about COVID? And I'm like, what is it? Like, what's going on? And so the way they explained it, I thought it was Ebola. Like, if you touch somebody, you're going to bleed out. And so anyway, so when it came to it, we didn't really know. But then once we, we went through the whole, like, doing church from home, and you got to do it over a video camera, and used to preach out in our barn, do Isaac videotaping it. And I'm like, you're right. We need people as much as we can make this work with technology. Because you could make it work, right? You can make it work, but making it work wasn't the answer. And I'm like, we're getting back together. We're, we're going to do it because touch, being with people, spending time with people, the only thing that will matter in the end is relationships, mm -hmm. the relationships that we have with people. So... No, I, I just, whatever, it's been a powerful conversation, but I mean to reflect on some of these topics are, are so true. And, you know, you think about a passing parent, you know, I've, um, Cindy and I have buried all our parents, and the last thing you want to do is just hold their hand. That's right. You just want to touch mom or dad and say, I love you and thank them. And, uh, you know, that's that's the touch that just isn't there in a Zoom call, isn't mm -hmm. there in a Skype. I mean, that's it's just, uh, and, uh, you know, I think, not to simplify things, but, you know, we have institutions that vilify the church because of these these incidences. I mm -hmm. call them isolated mm -hmm. instances yeah. that occur. And my gosh, you could turn that camera around real easy because there's certainly enough of that in government as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think we need to work together better. Um, I think there, well, there is a role for both to play. Um, but I think um, the, you know, the, 
the emotional side that we've touched on today is is, is the critical part that is so much better offered in the uh, faith and not-for-profit community. Yeah, and I think that's, I always said this, the thing that, that um, keeps me up, so this idea of the crisis of kids that are in systems that will never have a mom and dad, right? Like kids that are just, they're going to age out of the foster care system and they're went through the institutional mm -hmm. process and they're never going to have a mom and dad. Nobody to walk them down the aisle. Nobody to be there when it's when it's time to teach like a boy that I don't know how to use a screw gun. I don't know how to put up. I don't mm -hmm. know what to do with the car. I don't know what I'm buying a house. How do you buy a house? And that, that's why for me, the answer that the church has mm -hmm. to give is we have to be in relationship with people. We have to be the person that they can call. We have to be the person that's going to walk down the aisle. We have to be the substitute parents. We have to be the substitute dads and moms and the substitute mm -hmm. the substitute person that is going to walk into a room and hold the hand of a dying person mm -hmm. that is dying alone mm -hmm. because they don't have family, because those are the things that are going to matter in the end. We have to substitute what no government institution can do and what no other, no other entity can do, and that's relationships and the love of Christ. You cannot replace that with any program. It just can't mm. be replaced. No. And that's where we have to be very passionate about we'll try. Those, those things. And we'll spend billions of dollars <laughs> doing it. But again, I, I didn't mean to downplay. That's no, what I meant. But no, that's, it's very well said. And that's, you know, that's why when the bigger the issue, you have to reflect on the core of the problem. And um, okay, so this is here now. Who managed it before? Right. Where was it before? And that's where I get a little introspective with some of these things, because it's like, okay, so we spend the money or we create an agency. How is that going to fix that? And right. it's, it's not going to create the human touch. It's not going to create the compassion. It's not going to create that. I mean, and even in politics, we use those buzzwords sometimes, you know, compassionate conservatism, and I'm going to be a compassionate leader. And it's like, are you? And I mean, reality is, and if I get elected Congress, I'm serving 13 counties. So, I mean, I can't get out and touch 750,000 people on a regular basis because that's how many you would represent. And, you know, so we need, we need strong, we need, strong, powerful, so I'll just put engaging. A, I'll put a bug in your ears. Yes. What we need is strong, developing coaching networks mm -hmm. that not only can give a resource and give a tool, but give a relationship. Because it's yeah. more than mentoring. Oh, it's yeah. so much more than mentoring. Mm -hmm. It's it's coaching. It's walking a journey. It's walking down a road. It's using multiple different resources. Because, yeah, somebody does need counseling. Mm -hmm. Somebody does need mentoring. And somebody does need, but you need a coach. Like, yeah. we need coaching networks set up. Because the coaching network world is usually only in the business world, right? Mm -hmm. So the business world gets it all the time. Like people, you can hire a business coach and those guys come in and you pay lots of money for it. And, and again, they help you become mm -hmm. a better business person, a better organization, a better... But if you could take that coaching network and say, but let's do it for the normal people. Let's do it for the people who can't afford it. Let's do it for the people that that need more than a handout, that need more than food, that need more than bedding, they need more than counseling. They need somebody to oversee mm -hmm. 
the relationship going down the road. Mm -hmm. I think if we could do that, that's what we're praying for. Like we're praying, how can the church figure out coaching networks that can bring in lots of different people, but an oversight that can help move somebody and walk a journey with them and be responsible for, uh, to be able to see that so that it mm -hmm. takes all of the different elements but puts them together. And, and the one thing that they can always count on is a relationship with somebody who will be there with them, mm -hmm. a coach that will walk a journey with them. That's great. So, yeah. That's great stuff. Sorry. We're, we're at an hour and 11 minutes. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, and, we, and you barely even spoke. You just I, didn't need, I didn't need to speak today. I'm, sorry, I'm totally Jennifer. fine. <laughs> nope, I'm good. That was interesting. That was good. Yeah, so Andy, if you could give uh, a couple ways that people mm -hmm. could connect with you, like, will there be a link? Like, can we put out a link mm -hmm. afterwards to be able to do it? And how would they, what's the best way to get with you? Is there like an email? Well, or? the Indiana Senate is um, certainly my current role. Okay. That, that would be a way. And there's, it, you can access that pretty easily once okay. you get to indiana general assembly go to the senate side and access me there okay i mean what zay, about the Karen zay leasing and rentals thing? you can re get with me right here and then andyzay.com is my campaign page for and how Congress. about the caring porthole the care portal sorry um, the care say, por no. i'm <laughs> sorry the black hole i keep saying it wrong <laughs> no. i i can send you a link on that okay. right now we we've rolled that out in 10 i believe 10 counties mm -hmm. we've um, tried to be strategic about oh, okay. it in some of the more um, sure. Intensive yeah. areas with the uh, DCS. We opened it in Marion County, Vandenberg, yeah. down in Evan, um, Evansville, and then Terre Haute, and then Madison County. It is over in Wabash right now, and uh, Allen County. So mm -hmm. those are some of yeah, them. Yeah, we have a lot of people from Wabash, you know, coming to yeah, life. Yeah. So, I mean, that might be something that mm -hmm. if Nick can get the link, we can put it out there. But they actually started in Wabash, which is a little unique even for the care portal. The a school counselor is a vetor. So they oh, can. Wow. Deter, like if a kid comes to school without any mm -hmm. shoes or a backpack, they can help meet that need through the faith community at in a moment's notice. Yeah, good. Mm -hmm. Well, Andy, so, thank you. I mean, really no. appreciate you coming on, taking time. You know, we appreciate mm -hmm. you sharing your wisdom, helping clear up some things. I think in that, helping clear up the the heart behind, you know, sometimes it's a disconnect and you don't really know and yeah. the heart behind. And we appreciate, you know, what you're doing and appreciate, again, that, that you're willing to come down to the small guys like us. And, <laughs> Stop. Well, I mean, no, I mean, uh, and you, that, I'm your homeboy. But listen, <laughs> I think it's important for people to understand. Like, I don't mean this bad, but we're nobodies. I mean, we're just a church in a community trying to do, and that you're willing to come down. I think that shows when we're talking about bridging gaps. Like, I think those are the things that people are looking for. So, well, and, and I really believe that. I mean, the bigness of our society, whether it's the big football team, the big yep. school, the big, the big industry, the big, you know, we get enamored with that. And, and I still think, um, as we spend a lot of time talking about today, it's the intimacy, it's the smallness, yep. it's, it's the compassion, it's the touch that, that really make a difference. And, you know, and that's what I aspire to be as a legislator. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in big ideas and big motivations, but, uh, we can't lose sight of where we came from. And I certainly believe that with Huntington. I certainly believe that with my faith background. And, uh, you know, I think that's certainly what you guys are doing here at Life. And I'm proud to be a, a supporter of your work and, and your community and even your coffee out here. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's yeah. all good because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that's that's really the best of our, our communities and the best of America, honestly. Yeah, good. So, Jennifer, you want to send us out with the number and... 
sure for can. people. And yep. <laughs> so if you're not part of the roundtable texting group, um, you can text podcast to 260-408-8383, and we'll let you know when the podcast drops. Um, if you want to be on the podcast, let us know that too, and sometimes we pose out questions, so we want to be a part of that. Yeah, good. So if you're listening and or watching, mm-hmm. make sure that uh, when this clip comes out, uh, one of the things mm-hmm. that we'd love for you to do is to like, share, comment. That gives us an opportunity to get it onto different feeds for different people to be able to see it. After you watch it, after you listen to it, if you see Andy again, we'd love for you to come up, say hi, talk to, uh, again, bridge the gap between somebody who is out there uh, doing the work and continue to pray that we can figure out how to get these things together. Uh, But we'd love for your support in that. So thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.